0: Hey guys, and welcome to the second episode of the Grad Life Game Changers podcast. This is the podcast that gives you an insight into the lives of high-achieving, world-class individuals who have all excelled in their field with first-hand experiences and lessons to share, Find out what the keys to their success is and what habits and routines they employ to keep them there. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Brian Rosenbolt. Brian is a VC with Kraft Ventures. He joined Kraft back in 2018 as its first full-time New York City hire. He's a real guru of the tech ecosystem with previous roles at Reddit, Twitter and CBS Radio. He's been an angel investor in New York for several years, managing a syndicate of over 500 accredited investors through Riverside Ventures. In this episode, we discuss Brian's incredible career to date and then spoke about some more generic topics like his thoughts on NFTs, Bitcoin and the future of New York City post-pandemic. Hope you enjoy. Uh, let's start with high school. Um... Academics, like as a student, were you particularly broad in high school? Were you a high achiever? Uh how uh how did your kind of your high
1: school experience shape you and bring you to where you are now? Um I was okay. I would say I was okay. i say I was I was above average, but definitely was definitely was not um the smartest uh academically in my high school. I went to, you know, I do a high high school that had a lot of smart people that did really well that went on to um a lot of great colleges and like the whole the whole school and testing thing came came very naturally to them so i was you know always kind of being i think compared to a lot of people that ended up going to like the ivy league schools and getting full scholarship somewhere um but i you know i never really loved school i never like loved the classroom i didn't like taking tests um You know, I had to like convince myself that it was worth studying for certain things because I would ask like, what, how am I going to use this? So I'd say I was an okay student, but I was, I was definitely far more interested in work and like the business side and internships and jobs. That's what kind of got me going much more than, than the actual classroom.
0: Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Did you have any side hustles going?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I did a, a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, um, you know, like, I mean, growing up, I was big into collecting cards. And then, you know, in terms of collecting cards, like I love the trading aspect of it. So building a portfolio, trading sports cards, memorabilia, um, you know, I'd read up on like the what sports cards cost and would go into stores and buy and sell cards. So I did that. Um I sold a bunch of stuff on eBay when I was really young, when I was, you know, maybe 12 or 13 years old, selling a bunch of different types of things on eBay, finding random distributors and different folks online, selling some stuff that worked out that didn't, made some money. Um, and um, yeah, started, did an e-commerce business. So, I, I mean, I had like a bunch of these like random side hustles. I was just like fascinated by by business, by entrepreneurship, by Frankly, making money at that point, it was just like making money was like, I mean, it was so cool to me, to, you know, to be 13, 14 and to do something online, on the computer, be able to make some money. And, um, you know, when I would tell my parents, they would like not believe me. And that just kind of kept, kept, uh, kept that going.
0: Love it. Which, which side hustle did you have the most success with?
1: Um, I guess when I was. When I was uh, like in, you know, like mid- the middle school, high school time, probably just sell selling different things on eBay, like just finding like the 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 hot item at the time, um, whatever it was, and just finding like a unique way to to get those those items. I mean, there's there was a time when I was like really into a video game, and the the video games I was playing, it was like very hard to find the codes to the game, like the cheat codes. Um, and so I spent like a ton of time going in chat rooms and I mean doing all these like crazy things to trade codes, get codes, compiled like an amazing, an awesome list of them and then would sell it on eBay. And like no one was doing that. And people were actually like paying a good amount of money, probably, you know, parents of kids who were screaming for these codes and I was, I was selling them. So that, that's probably the most memorable and probably the best ROI. So, there, so you weren't were even other... selling
0: a, a physical product on eBay. You were just selling a cheat code.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would do, I would do, bo- I would do both. But that was probably the most successful because exactly what you said. Like there was, you know, at the time when I started, you know, in high school selling on eBay, I wasn't exactly familiar with like cost of goods sold and like you know mm-hmm. calculating exact, you know, profit and marketing and all this stuff. And so yeah, that was definitely the, the most the most successful one.
0: Nice. Um, and then you went on to UConn. Um, how was that as a college experience? Um, our Irish audience, uh, is not too like the, the, uh, sort of, um, impression we get of, of American colleges of the, the traditional frats, the, um, the football teams, the, the how big yeah. college sport is there. Is it a, was it a stereotypical American college experience?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I would say it was pretty, pretty, (laughs) pretty much that. (laughs) Um,
0: So thumbs up. Yeah, um, it it
1: was, it was great, though. Um, I had an older brother that that went to school there. So I was able to visit him and spend time there um, and get to know the the campus. Um, I big basketball fan, big college basketball fan. So that definitely played played a role there. Um, frankly, I was looking at a bunch of schools and um, a lot, you know, where I, where I grew up, a lot of people went to the same college, like this, you know, the same 10 colleges were just the most popular to, to go to. UConn was, was sort of random for where I grew up in New York. Um, and I kind of wanted to just, I don't know, meet, meet new people, get a different experience, go, go into college, like not knowing all of my friends and that sort of thing. And so that's what I did. And yeah, UConn, UConn was great. The basketball team was great. Saw national championship uh, being won. The women's team was great um, and was able to join a fraternity, was able to do a lot more of these like side hustle business things um, that ended up helping me tremendously figure out like what what, what I want to do and like what I'm good at and what I'm not good at.
0: Okay. And then you moved on to CBS. So I'm right in thinking that was your first job at a college. Uh, what was that experience like?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I was working for CBS radio, um, and it was, uh, you know, the, the job was to basically sell ads for the local radio stations in New York. And, um, it was, I mean, it was a grind, like it was, you know, very, very low salary. I mean, if you did well there and made money, it was cause you were selling ads. If you weren't selling, like you were not making money and you were probably fired within three to six months. Wow, okay. Um, and so it was, it was a intense environment. Um, it was just
0: skill cold calling the whole time.
1: Yeah. It took, yeah. So like my first day when I showed up, it was like, here's your desk and here's like the yellow pages, like cold call. Um, and, um, it was, it was, it was great though, because I wanted to do something in sales. I wanted to kind of just like go out there and improve myself and kind of like, you know, sink or swim type of thing. And um, it was great. It was really, really hard. It was challenging, but it was something where like, I thought I was going to be good at this and it was hard and I worked, you know, my butt off and ended up being successful, but it was a intense environment. and was, it was able to learn a lot about myself again, like what I'm good at what I don't like to do. Um, I was able to see, you know, who, who at that company in that environment was successful, who was not. And it it helped kind of just inform like, you know, what I want to spend time getting better at, you know, what are, what are things maybe I don't care to get better at. Um, and then also just set me up for the next, the next job, because I, I knew going into CBS radio, this was not, I was not going to be a lifer there. Probably wasn't going to spend five years there, but I'd spend maybe year two years three years learning developing and then going on to the kind of the the next thing
0: and what were the things that you realized you needed to improve at, or the things that you realized you were already pretty good at
1: um so i I think just like you know naturally i you know i the idea of like picking up the phone and making phone calls facing rejection sending out emails you know like asking to to get a deal done that came pretty naturally to me i felt pretty comfortable doing that. I wasn't kind of scared for, for you know, about rejection. Um, you know, I wasn't scared to call up the CEO of a company, of a big company and and say hello and explain like why they should give me some time or, or talk. Uh, you know, the things that I think maybe, um, I realized at the time I, I had to get better at was just, you know, at, at CBS, a lot of the local radio advertisers, it's it's local, local small business owners, um, you know, working and selling advertising To the local, uh, you know, to someone who owns a local store or a doctor who has a, you know, a few offices, is very different than talking to like the CMO of Pepsi or Coca Cola. And so, understanding kind of like the difference between just making a connection with like an individual um, owner of a small business versus like navigating a large or complex organization like Pepsi, that's something I realized like, holy crap, I need I need to learn like how to sell into a big enterprise. And that that took time, um, and that took time to just learn what what works, what doesn't, all the different decision makers, um, and um, that you know was able to to learn that, but it definitely was was not overnight. Uh,
0: so then after CBS, uh, Twitter was your next role. Post that, which is um, pretty exciting, because you joined there 2013 when I guess social media was. Um, it had become like an, an established industry, so to speak. Facebook had been around for a couple of years. Twitter was still pretty new back then and people still didn't really know what it was. What was your, what was your initial thoughts on the company when you first heard of it and, and then when you joined it?
1: Yeah. So I, I really wanted to work at Twitter. Um, I, I was using Twitter a bit, but, but basically at CBS, the, one of the most memorable and biggest deals I closed there um, was basically the result of something I learned on Twitter. Like I learned about something on Twitter the moment it happened, which which then allowed me to kind of like reach out to a decision maker and a company and ultimately it led to this big, big deal. And so that, you know, there was, other, and then just like being a sports fan, learning about sports on Twitter, I just was like something, you know, Twitter is a special place. They, you know, you learn about things really quickly there. And so, Twitter was building out their sales team. I was in sales. I was kind of like, Twitter is the place I want to go go work for, and so I actually re- reached out. Um,
0: so just to rewind back about a bit, you saw Twitter as the the best sort of platform for real time news.
1: Yeah, for real time for real time news. Yeah, and, and I saw the that's value. What, I was that's how
0: you. From it. That's what you saw as its differentiator to Facebook or or the stuff that existed prior to that.
1: Yeah yeah and it was it was impact you know it helped it helped me close like a huge deal that that was really good for for my career and and my time at CBS and then on the personal side like I was I'm a big sports fan I'm learning about all my sports news on Twitter before ESPN so something definitely special was happening there you know and so I realized this is something I want to be be a part of um and could see that why brands would want to advertise there and if I'm going to be selling, you know, ads, I'd lo- I want to sell something I believe in. And that I think if I were them, I would be spending money on. And Twitter was the, the number one place I was excited about.
0: And tell us about your experience working in sales and Twitter and seeing the company grow.
1: It was really cool. Um, I, I joined, I joined Twitter. Um, they, they had um, been, they had built out a sales team in San Francisco, but New York was, was new. Um, so they, they had a bunch, um, they had, they had a a small, se- a small New York office um, and with some some senior salespeople. And then they started, they hired me um, as someone to come in um, to be one of the first people on their mid-market sales team. So it was, it was basically like, let's sell to basically everyone that's not our top 50 customers, like the biggest customers in the world. Um, and it, w- it was really neat to be at Twitter because it was a totally different environment from CBS. CBS was your kind of classic, intense, cold call, pick up the phone, make a million calls. Whereas Twitter, um, it was more about relationships. It was selling into big brands. It was you know, focus on the long-term relationship. Um, you know, it, it was more strategic and less transactional, I would say. Um, but it, you know what was great is there. I think there's a ton of valuable lessons from CBS that I brought to Twitter and was able to kind of combine with what I was learning at Twitter that that made me successful there. And frankly, I think there's a lot of sellers that would, would have or would benefit from having that CBS kind of classic, more kind of intense sales environment that would would have benefited from it. So, so it was it was great to kind of have the best of, of both worlds and, and learn from take lessons from both.
0: Nice. And um, what do you think? or what's what's your opinion on what twitter has become now it's
1: it's amazing i mean you know twitter um, i you know i i joined i joined twitter before the ipo it kept growing the user base the business you know it ipo it did extremely well it went up and then over the next several years the the stock did really bad for for a number of years it went down and it moved um you know the it's funny because everyone was using Twitter and people would use Twitter to complain about Twitter not shipping products and new features um, but like it was so it was so instrumental in I mean everyone our the daily life um, our daily lives and and media and everything so like there was something so special there that like I just don't think it mattered um, I'll, what I'll say is like in the last year or two, they, I think in my opinion, like they've, they've done a lot in terms of shipping new features, iterating on the product. And so it's exciting to see, and you, you see that in the stock price now, it's, it's it's done really well over the last year or so. Um, but I just think Twitter is something that is like so powerful and special. Like it, it's kind of hard to mess it up at this point.
0: It's the one social media platform that stood the test of time, despite how much people have complained about it throughout the years like Facebook went through its ups and now it's like Facebook as a platform and as a company but is clearly on the way down. Like I don't know anyone who uses Facebook anymore. Instagram right now I think is peaking. Uh, I don't see Instagram still maintaining its same level of influence in kind of 10 years time, but, but Twitter just, it, it's maintained it and it's grown steadily and, and I can't think of another social media platform that's done it over the same sort of longevity as Twitter.
1: Yeah, it's it's a utility. I mean, it's it's important. It is important for my for, for for me for work for life. Like, it's how I stay up to up you know up to speed on things across everything I'm interested in. Um, if I don't have Twitter, I'm learning about things later than other people. You know, I'm learning about and, and that and that's important. Timing's important. Being on top of this 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 stuff and in our industry. Um, is important. And so yeah, it's definitely the the app I'd say I use most most frequently. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud to have have kind of spent time at at Twitter. And um, yeah, that was a, a great, a great experience. And you know, listen, I spent a lot of time trying to get into Twitter. They didn't, they didn't reach out to me. I reached out to them. <laughs> I tried to like create a job for myself. Um, and I and I I spent over a year trying to to work there. And it was, it was well worth the effort.
0: The The issue of free speech has become quite contentious recently, especially with regards to Twitter, uh, after they banned Donald Trump. And there's been a few other sort of public figures that banned on it. Why, where do you stand on it, on, on Twitter's role in being, um, I guess, being a platform uh, and not censoring people, but also recognizing its sort of public obligation to... Protect citizens and not spread disinformation.
1: Yeah, um, it's a, it's a. I mean, it is an, a clearly a really tough position to to be in. Um, you know, I I do believe in free speech, um, but at the same time, like inciting violence or doing certain things like that, there that that's not that's not okay. You know, I so I don't know that I have like. a a solution for them. I don't know that I have like a clear, like here's the the three-step plan to solve it. Um, What I do think is it's not like, I don't know that it's necessarily fair for us to expect, um, you know, like Twitter or like one platform to just decide what to do. Like, I think them just closing off um, accounts um, ad hoc is is potentially dangerous. Um, but at the same time, like there are certain voices that spread misinformation, um, or incite violence that that do should not have a voice. It's a really, it's a really hard area. I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions because they're, they're just they're just hard. I don't know the answer. Um, it's definitely worth worth talking about. Um, but it is, um, it's, it's an issue. It's a, definitely a big, a big issue that I don't think I'm gonna personally be the person to solve. Yeah, I,
0: I agree with that. <clears throat> Sorry, it's, it's incredibly uh, difficult in that, like, how do you draw that line? And I guess the, the argument I've heard from the absolute sort of free speech fundamentalists is no matter what your opinion on Trump is or his role in inciting violence, someone like Jack Dorsey is now more powerful than the president if he can switch off his main method of communicating with his audience.
1: Right, right. And, and, that, and that's the issue, because it's like, even if um, it's, you know, the thing, the thing is, is like, it's a, it's a, it's a very emotional topic. And so when, if you just, if we just think about like, um, Trump specifically, and, and being banned, um, you know, you could, I think you could understand why, why people are emotional about, you know, if someone says he shouldn't have been banned, you could, I could understand why there's an emotional response to that. I mean, you know, there, there's some really terrible things that he tweeted um, and that, that he should not have, have done. But I think some other people think about it from the standpoint of, the, you know, what this means for the future. So if today Jack Dorsey says this person can't speak and maybe everyone agrees with him today because, you know, or 90% of the country or Twitter agrees with him, let's just say, um, you know, what, what's to say what happens tomorrow or next year? Um, and it's, it's that, that slippery slope that's a question mark. And it's, it's just hard because it's, it's not there today. Like those, you know, the, the repercussions from that isn't happening, but it, it, sets, it sets it up so that it could. So this is why it's, it's so tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, should, should Jack Dorsey be the most powerful person in the world in terms of determining who has a voice or not? I think like everyone could, could agree like Jack probably shouldn't be that person. And I think Jack would agree with that too. I think he doesn't want that opinion, so it's it's figuring out the best way, you know, for for society that that makes sense and is and it's fair.
0: Uh, let's move on to your next uh, role then, which was Reddit. Um, again, another super interesting company to join. Tell us about your thinking in joining Reddit. What did you think of it? Uh, why were you ambitious about it? And uh, and yeah, why did you see it as a, as a good place to join?
1: Yeah. So, I I mean, I always knew about Reddit. I never was a, I wasn't a huge, huge user, but I, you know, I was at Twitter, um, you know, I had done well there, but I wanted, I wanted to do more. I wanted a bigger role. Twitter at this point is a public company, huge team, huge sales org, lots of layers. Um, And, you know, I was, I wasn't, it was just impossible to, to grow as fast as I wanted to there. And so I, I was looking into startups, but also big companies. I wanted something where I thought there was a big, op- like a, just a big opportunity and, and Reddit was perfect because the website's huge. It's one of the most popular websites, you know in the US and in the world. Um, but their their team was really small. The business was really small. And so I, I saw it as an opportunity to just have a big impact. Um, and so, you know, and I, I went to, I, I started using Reddit more and more. I thought it was like the ugliest site I've ever seen in my life. I was like, this is like, this is just ugly. Um, I thought the ad units were like terrible. Um, And um, at the same time, I was like, there's such a big opportunity here. Like there's all these communities that are focused on these topics that brands would love to be a part of. Um, I just felt like there's so much low hanging fruit on the consumer side and on the business side. And so I I get similar to to Twitter. I reached out to Reddit to say like, are you guys gonna try to build a business around this thing? You know, like I I would love to help. Um, and it was great timing. Um reached out cold to to my to my my future boss um and ended up going going to Reddit. And I was it was an incredible experience and it was everything I thought in that huge opportunity, huge platform with an appetite to like let's try to monetize this thing and, and build it. And so I was able to join, you know, pretty, pretty early in that journey and kind of kind of help see that through.
0: Nice. Um, what did you make of the recent Wall Street bets fiasco when uh, a group on Reddit essentially took down some of the most powerful institutions on Wall Street?
1: I was kind of like a prou- proud, uh, I was, I was. It was, it was exciting. I mean, listen, Reddit is so powerful. I spent three and a half years talking to to marketers and to people about how influential Reddit is. Um, how how communities are influential. I mean, this is such a great example it wasn't the one I was thinking of when I was you know pitching advertisers for their for their for their advertising budget but um you know community community is important reddit is influential um you know it reddit allows people to kind of come together and um you know I thought it was it was I mean it was entertaining to watch I, w- I wasn't a huge part of it I'm not like a Super super active user on Wall Street Bets, but I, I have gone to it and I do go to it from time to time. And um, sometimes I think there's some interesting ideas, and sometimes I just laugh. But it was uh, it was an entertaining few weeks.
0: And it, it, its legacy could, <clears throat> sorry, my throat keeps going. On like, um, its legacy could potentially disrupt the future of finance in in how uh, stocks are traded because uh, meme stocks now seem to be more powerful than ever with. All powers by better
1: yeah i mean it's funny i've i've always went from a very young age i've always kind of thought to myself like i don't get the stock market because it's based on just like perception basically you know yeah. and projection and this was a great example of that you know like pe- people just kind of deciding um to come together and to to, to boost Um, GameStop, you know, their, their stock, um, that, that's always been something that has scared me about the stock market. Like you invest in a company that you say is great, but like, and so anyway, it was interesting to, to watch it, to watch it unfold. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's always fun to kind of see like the, the little guy take on the, the big guy. Um, I think that's what I really um, love about this story. And yeah, you know, so, so I don't know how you, you, you can't, um, find some appreciation for that unless you're one of the, the established big guys. And then I could understand why you're, you're not happy about that. So do you not invest in the stock market then? I, I do. I do. I just, I'm always like, you know, I, when I, I invest in the stock market, I'm pretty active. Um, and, um, but, but I think about perception and, and psychology a lot with these stocks, um, not like I don't just look at the numbers and the fundamentals and say like this is trading at you know a discount relative to their their peers, um, so we shouldn't, so I should invest. Um, I do think about just perception and um, mentality. Like you know, in the the beginning of um, in the beginning of quarantine, like every single person I know is trying to buy a Peloton. It just seemed like it just seemed obvious. Like Peloton would be a good stock mm-hmm. to buy. Um, people love the brand. The community is amazing. It's a good product. Retention's good. And everyone is going is trying to buy this thing. It just seemed like the storyline, the press is gonna be about how Peloton is like blowing up. And so I bought that stock and it was, it was, it was really good. Um, so I, I mean, I I do th- I do, I am active, but I do think about how like, you know, the the stock market isn't always hundred percent correlated to fundamentals.
0: Are there any other stocks you're excited about in the future? Do you think um, do you think any tech companies could go on in the next few years to challenging the fines? I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think there's a lot of them.
1: Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I have a pretty, my, I'm an investor in a bunch of stocks and I do buy and sell somewhat frequently. So if I, something changes, I, you know, I, I change, you know, there's a, there's a few stocks that I'm just long on. Cause I, I, I like, um, not necessarily technology but like you know i'm an investor in starbucks and i love the company because i use their mobile app and it's i mean it's 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 a great um it's a great experience um you know i would say um tesla is another one i mean i would just never bet against elon musk i mean that's that's another thing is like if you look at if you want to play the fundamentals game and the numbers and compare it you'll see people that say this is so overvalued or not but I would never bet against that guy um, and what he's going to do in the future. Um, so I'm a, a big, big fan of, of that one as well. But, but yeah, we could, we could check in in a few months. I'm always constantly, um, I'd say a few times a year. There's, there's stocks that come up that I get really excited about. Right, right now there's, there's nothing like new I'm super excited about. But in the beginning of of quarantine, that that was Peloton for me.
0: I've been quite uh, interested in Pinterest recently. So I think it's it's stock has moved about 90% in the past sort of five months. And they've also acquired Visco. So it looks like they are pretty aggressively targeting that Gen Z demographic to try and become the next social media platform for these guys.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. I, I, um, yeah, I don't own Pinterest, but I've, it's been kind of on my on my radar. I'm I'm not a Pinterest user, but um, coming coming a bit from that world, like they have a a very they have a very big audience, very active audience, and a very unique audience. Um, you know, they skew female, um, which is which is attractive because like a platform like Reddit skews male, for example, um, and it's a super visual platform, which is great for advertisers and and brands. So yeah, I could see them um continuing to grow and do well i could see them potentially being like a a, it would be a very big acquisition target but any of the big social media giants would be you know very lucky to have to have them as part of part of their company
0: uh let's get back to your career so post reddit you joined where you are now craft ventures i'm right in thinking that. yeah
1: um yeah Yeah, so what brought
0: that decision about um what appealed to you about being a VC? How did you do it? Uh, lots of people want to get into VC, very few people can. Yeah, just, just talk us through that process.
1: Yeah, so, um, so I, you know, I, I should say, um, you know, when I was at CBS and Twitter, you know, I'm selling ads, but some of the most memorable experiences I had was actually working with startups on their advertising. So it was working with, um, Grubhub or Seamless or Uber when they were entering a new market with their radio ads or their digital ads, and and it was just exciting to work with those startups, um, those teams. Um, You know, at Twitter, I worked with a lot of direct-to-consumer startups, met a lot of founders, um, again, just like the difference between working with a huge fortune 500 and working with a startup was really different. And I just, I got a ton of energy from, from working with the startups. I was also fortunate to work with some of these startups at the time, um, like, um, Harry's and Warby Parker, um, and, um, was able to kind of see them from, from, from early days to just getting really big. And I felt like, I felt like it was really fun spotting those companies and those founders early before people knew all about them, before they raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and I thought it was something I'm, I may be good at. So, you know, once I got to Reddit and once I was in a, a place in my career where I could start investing some money into startups, I started to do that. And I started to, to, so on the side, when I was at Reddit, I, I started finding some startups, investing in them here and there. And then I actually started um, more actively investing on on AngelList um, and um, started investing in other people's syndicates, um, which is basically, um, for those who don't know, you know, someone, an individual, um, usually an experienced angel investor gets an allocation, let's just say $100,000 in a company, and then they syndicate you know, they may put in $10,000 and then the rest they syndicate. So someone like me and you and others could put in $1,000 or $5,000. And so it's a great way to learn and get your feet wet. So I, I did that. Um, and then I started to do my own syndicates. And so I, I built my own syndicate, Riverside Ventures. It became one of the largest, most active syndicates on AngelList. We had some great deals. And I'm doing this on the side. So anybody
0: and, can uh, put money
1: into that. Um, yeah, so it's it's... In the every country is different, but I believe it. I believe it's a you have to be an accredited investor. Okay. Um, in the U.S., I think every, every country is different though what their what their rules are. So you have to be an accredited investor. Um, but you can put in, you know, and there's different different ways to be accredited. Um, but um, you could put in as little as a thousand dollars. And so I, I I started doing my own syndicates, started doing spending a lot of time on it, saw some success realized like a lot of my energy was going into investing, um, and realized that this was what I wanted to do. Uh, and craft, craft, um, someone from, from craft was, um, I was lucky enough to have them kind of come across me and, and reach out to me. And we built a relationship over a year or so, and and they're getting ready to raise their, their second fund and join for that.
0: And how does angel investing compare to VC investing?
1: Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 it's different. And it depends how it's different. You know, I mean, listen, as an, as an angel, it's your own money. It's my own money. Um, and so if I think, um, you know, if I, if I want to invest in, in a, in a company, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the only person, you know, I'm the, I'm the GP, I'm the LP with a fund there, you have partners, there's other people at the fund. And there's LPs, you you know, who you're investing money on, on behalf of. And there's certain return expectations, you know, for, for me as an angel, like if I found a company I really liked that I thought I could make money on, um, that, that I thought the company would do well, uh, I, would, I would invest. If I thought I could make 2x my money, I would invest. With a venture fund, if you're, I mean, you know, you're investing, um, our second fund's a $500 million fund. If we look at a company and we think like, you know, wow, I think we could, double our money here. Um, we don't invest in that company because we we need we need bigger returns. Like we need to return a very large fund so we need very large outcomes. And so the difference is there are some companies as an angel I would invest in because you know because I think I can we can see a return but at you know with craft if if we don't think there's a big enough return it just doesn't work for the for the venture capital model.
0: Okay um that's all the questions i have on your career got a few sort of generic topics now i'd like to cover uh one we kind of spoke a bit uh, before we started recording but let's chat about it again uh the future of new york post pandemic uh how do you see the city recovering
1: uh really well i mean I, listen i think new york is the best city i mean you know i'm i'm biased in that i totally right. Grew up, grew up, um, you know, in New York. I'm from New York. I also, you know, have a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder because I I worked for a long time for companies headquartered in San Francisco on the West Coast, and I, I was told by um, at times managers or or you know bosses like, Hey, Brian, if you really really want to like get ahead, you really want to do something big, you you should you should come out and you should move to San Francisco. You should be at HQ, and. I just, um, and I understood that to a degree, like being an HQ for a company, but I just, my gut was like, I love New York. I wanna build New York. I always took pride in like building the New York office or team or business for that company. And just, I just think it's so, I mean, there's, you know, for the world that I was in at the time advertising, like the biggest advertisers and agencies, they're, they're here. Um, and so I, I've just I've heard for a long time like you got to be here or there, and I, I didn't believe that. But what I do know is my family is here, my friends are here. I love New York. Um, I love being able to to walk outside my apartment and do whatever I need to need to do. I love the diversity in the city, and um, I I have no doubt New York is gonna gonna be coming back. Um, it's already coming back. It's already come back. I I was away from the city for several months, and I I think the last couple months before I moved back, I was like sick that I was not in New York. I didn't feel like myself until I got back. So along with the way of saying, um, I think New York is already on the way back. Um, there's energy outside already. People are, you know, outdoor dining is back. People are wearing masks in the street. I think this spring and the summer, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic.
0: How does it recover though? Because like the future of work is so, um, unpredictable, let's say, like we don't know if we're going to move back to see people are probably going back to go and go to hybrid working where it'll be some remote working and some in-office working. And so much of Manhattan is based on commercial real estate, of which 50% I think of it is currently empty. So how does it recover from that?
1: Well so I mean commercial real estate is is a little bit of a different a different beast. Um, Given just you know work from home, work from anywhere, office, it's a good question. I I, I do think um, it recovers to a degree. I don't know to, to what degree. Um, I just think people are going to. I think things will things have changed. Um, I don't think offices are are totally dead and gone, but I do think personally, like the five, you know going into the office five days a week will be less less common. I wouldn't be surprised to see some companies. Adopt that or or kind of go back to that and employees who work there are the ones who like want that, but I think for the most part it's going to be a hybrid where where a lot of companies have some sort of an office presence, but it's not sort of like a a mandatory come in every day type of thing. Um, So yeah I mean it's not from an office space perspective it's not not a great time to. to to be in that in that world, but listen, I do think there's going to be a lot of people that move here and live here and are working here and do want space, so it's just going to be, I think, an adjustment.
0: And it looks like Andrew Yain is the front runner to be the next mayor of the city. What are your thoughts on him?
1: I think I think he's great. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think he um, he or whoever uh, comes in to that seat moving forward is. Going to have a huge impact and do a lot. I think, um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in the city, um, and I think someone like Andrew Yang or some of the you know another candidate is going to is going to do a great job. I, I'm looking forward to kind of a new a new mayor um, with new new energy and new ideas to come in, um, and specifically you know someone who who has an interest in the technology space. I think it's I think it's important to to be supportive of technology companies building and staying in New York. Um, I don't know if you, you've seen on Twitter or in general, like the, the mayor in Miami, what's going on there. I mean, he's like single-handedly recruiting a lot of influential um, tech, you know, tech founders and venture capitalists. And there's a lot of buzz and excitement in Miami. And it's really actually inspiring to, to see kind of a, a mayor work so hard for their city. So I'm hoping to to get some of that similar energy um, in, in New York.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it would be great to just have a sort of non-career politician uh, lead the city and someone who's really in touch with um with with the real world. Uh, he seems like a, a, a true innovator, Andrew Yang, which uh, you rarely get guys like him in politics, in my opinion. Um, Right, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but uh, I want to talk about crypto before we go because uh, it's a pretty hot topic at the moment. Are you exposed at all to crypto? Do you own any? What are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I, I do. Um, I'm not I'm not you know. I'm not um. The deepest into it, um, but I do I do own you know some some Bitcoin um, and some other coins and tokens. But it's not um. You know I, I would say I'm I'm not a skeptic in that I I don't believe in it. I'm also not all in on it. Like most of my money is going into it. You know I'm still way more invested in. Traditional kind of investments in stocks than, than, than crypto, um, but I you know I I and I was an early investor in um, Dapper Labs, which produced NBA Top Shot, which is kind of doing sports cards on the blockchain. And so yeah, I, you I know listened I
0: interested- uh, Their their founder was on um, uh, the Jason and Council, yeah, the show. The yeah, other week, listen to it. Yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah, so he I mean Rohan is great. Jake Cal is is great too. Um, and there's something interesting and special happening there. Um, so, so you know, I'm an investor in that company, and I also, you know, I I I buy car when I could get into the drops and buy cards. I, I do. Um, and um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on it. There are people that are smarter than me, much smarter than me, in this stuff. And so, I do a lot of reading and listening, and then I kind of pick and choose when to kind of follow with 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 my money. But to date, my you know the biggest. Thing i've done is just kind of buy buy bitcoin that seems to be the popular consensus of if you want to bet on crypto bitcoin is the best thing um to to to, to do and so that's that's been kind of my focus today
0: yeah i'm, I'm pretty much the, the, the same um just on nfts because you've obviously traded sports cards in the past i presume you're pretty excited about uh, about nfts what are um what are you looking at at the moment with NFTs? Do you have any any tips you can give to our audience of uh, of a few speculative bets they can make?
1: Um, the 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 two things I'm spending the most time on um, is Top Shot um, and um, Zed. Dot uh, Run, which is kind of doing like virtual horse racing. So you 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 buy a virtual horse, but it's actually a game also. So you could you could race the horses. Um, but there's something interesting happening there. There's a super active community in Discord. Um, it's kind of a nuts scenario what's what's happening with them right now, you know. So I'm spending time in those, and I, you know, I've, I've put some money and in, invested into to both of those platforms. Um, but I think, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening with NFTs. I mean, most people are going to lose money in this. Like, it's just there's just no way. I mean, everything's an NFT. Every like, there's crazy, there's craziness going on. So I would, I would be very careful about where and what, you know, and how I invest in it. I do, like, I, I look at it as more gambling than investing um, right now. But th- those are the two platforms I'm most excited about because it just, I mean, I just genuinely, I'm excited about it and it, it's fun. It's fun to me.
0: Right. Um, last question for you. We finish every podcast with Grad Life asking our guests to recommend any books which have had a particular impact on how it's kind of influenced your career or, or just your life in general
1: i mean the, you know i i i would say um the the a book that comes to mind the hard things about hard things oh, um,
0: second person to mention that one i
1: i i just i really really like that one um i think there's some good lessons in it i also just think I just remember walking away from that, you know, seeing like, you know, there, there's some, some of the most successful people in the world, like we're all, we're all human. You kind of just like, you, you could just, I think that it's, it's very relatable in a lot of ways. Um, so that, that was, that was, you know, a great, a great read for, for me. Um, but frankly, you know, I, I'd say I'm, I'm not one of those people that has read, um, you know, several books and like, it's, it's changed my, my life. I read a lot more Twitter and blog posts and talk to people and just kind of. Those experiences kind of shaped my lessons more than kind of like any any one book, I would say.
0: Great. Uh, Brian, I have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. Uh, It's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me.